The Paul Kaharski Podcast is brought to you by Yazoo Brewing Company, a Nashville original since 2003. Welcome into the Paul Kuharski Podcast. I am said Paul Kuharski, brought to you by Yazoo Brew. As always, they've got something for everybody. I'm partial to the Hefeweizen. You should check it out anytime you're in Nashville. Put a six-pack in your refrigerator. Take a six-pack to your friend's house next time you're hanging out. Certainly order one next time you're out having a beer. I am pleased to be joined today by Daryl Johnston. You know him as Moose, perhaps, the uh, great fullback from the Dallas Cowboys, who for 10 years uh, was an integral part of the Cowboys and uh, was in front of Emmett Smith during much of the prime of the NFL career rushing leader. Daryl, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very well. You were watching Titans practice on Saturday and Sunday because you are now the director of player personnel for the Dallas team of the XFL. And uh, it struck me that you are uh, now a personnel guy and also a personnel guy who's kind of, uh, I'm sure, watching the whole roster, but really kind of watching the back end of the roster. And you were gracious enough to agree to visit with me to talk about that. But first and foremost, uh, people here are going to want to know what you think of the state of the Titans as a whole. What were your impressions of what you watched the last couple of days? Uh, I thought they, uh, I thought they looked good. Um, you know, it's the second year with Mike Vrabel at the helm, so there'll be, you know, some familiarity. Uh, the guys will be more comfortable uh, in the day to day. I thought uh, the pace of practice was good. Uh, you know, I like how Mike uh, is involved in all all aspects of uh, of the practice session. Um, you know, from running things at the top as the head coach and, uh, you know, making sure everything stays on point. But also I saw him over on the field where some of the guys who are hurt at this time and are working through some stuff, he was over there helping out as well. So, um, you know, really, really hands-on, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I always loved, uh, in organizations and as they try to build that culture is, you know, there's no job too small for anybody to do. And, uh, you know, Mike kind of takes that approach from the top. So uh, I'm excited to see what they do this year. I really am. I thought they, they picked up some good guys in the off season. Um, you know, one of the guys that really jumps out to you is Adam Humphreys, uh, that they've added. So, uh, you know, that was, uh, that, that was a big plus. They seem to be making plays quite often. Uh, seems like they've shored up the, uh, the offensive line. Um, so I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting year. I think the AFC South is, is one of those divisions that's starting to get very competitive top to bottom. I don't know how much you you paid particular attention to the red zone. I thought it was a really good weekend for the defense in the red zone, even in that seven on seven, where I feel like the the offense, despite the confined space, should have an advantage. Defense really good on Saturday, and then the offense didn't really do much to come back from that. How much of a concern should that be for a Titans fan that the offense not able to to necessarily stand toe to toe in a drill like that? Well, it's tough to evaluate that at camp because you're you're over two weeks in now, so you know there's a lot of familiarity with the with the plays that the offense is running. Uh, you know the defense they can jump certain things. They've seen it. They recognize the concepts. Um, so I never put too much weight in that. It, it really what happens during the preseason games is as difficult as it is to evaluate. You know the preseason games because the guys aren't playing a whole lot. Um, still, you're going up against uh, an opponent that you haven't seen, so you get a more realistic look of what your your concepts are going to be um, during the course of the regular season. So, um, you know, it was very frustrating for us. You know, in training camp, you know, the, the DBs would basically run some of our routes if they had a good, you know, pre-snap recognition of formation and understood the concepts coming out of that. So, once you're you're two weeks into camp, they've seen so much 
uh, you know, on a repetitive basis that uh, they start to trust their instincts a little bit more and and start to jump some things and, and make some plays on the ball. So it gets frustrating for the offense at times. Derrick Henry is so different than anything else that that uh, was out there. You didn't see him, obviously. I think he was on the side field Sunday a little bit. But uh, how much extra juice do you envision him giving? And uh, you're familiar last year, obviously, last four games, he was otherworldly. Um, but the first 12, he he was not. How much faith do you kind of have that he – he discovered what he needed to discover and he can be that guy or how much concern do you have that for three quarters of the season last year, he couldn't find it. <laughs> um, well, you, you, you make the commitment to the one guy and I think that that helps out a lot too. Um, so it'll be interesting. You know, as you pointed out, um, you know, just amazing down the stretch those last four games, uh, you know, tough, tough to follow that up and, and have that type of play for, for 16 consecutive weeks. So um you know, the big thing for the running backs is, you know, you start to get nicked a little bit and, and, and Derek's a big physical runner. So, um, you know, sometimes more likely than, than the smaller backs. So uh, you have to see what the wear and tear will be like on him during the course of the season. So, I, you know, I think that that is an important component that they have to find that, that complementary piece of the puzzle to make sure that uh, you're monitoring the number of reps and, and the amount of contact that he's taken during the course of the year. So you were general manager of San Antonio of the Alliance of American Football this past season, which we didn't see all the way through. Were you scouting like this a year ago, like this for them? Yeah, very similar, very similar. But but last year, because the, the Alliance had an allocation process, when we would go to training camps, we knew the guys on their roster that if they decided um, – to come to us if, if things didn't work out for them in the NFL and they were released uh, and they wanted to play in the Alliance, they had to come to San Antonio. They had to go to Memphis. They had to go to Birmingham uh, because of an allocation process that was put in place. So we were just watching our guys specifically, um, you know, here this weekend uh, with the XFL, we're doing it uh, like a traditional draft. We'll draft over two days, um, you know, a little bit position specific. We will draft, um, you know, not completely open the whole time, but we will have two open components, but we'll be drafting from uh, a player pool. So it, it can be anybody uh, so much different than we had last year with the Alliance. So much, a much larger pool of players to, to try and evaluate with our, uh, with our personnel department. So, um, you know, coming up to Tennessee, the biggest thing, as you pointed out, we're looking at that bottom of the roster and the turnover that happens there. Um, you know, unfortunately, which guys, you know, aren't going to be a part of the 53, which guys aren't going to be on the practice squad. Um, and then we're, we're looking at those guys right now uh, as they perform and, and kind of comparing them to the guys that we, that we have in our player pool at this time, uh, which have come from, you know, showcases we've held uh, in the franchise cities across the country. Uh, also, your alliance guys uh, that, that aren't in the camp at this time, some of the 2019s uh, that were not drafted but went to mini camps or, or OTAs and, and we're not signed uh, and are available right now. So, uh, you know, trying to get an idea of, of where these cut down players uh, as they start to come to us through the course of training camp kind of slot into the players that we already have in our draft pool. So are there guys that you you've seen in the last two days who you actually kind of look at and you say, God, I hope John Robinson is not seeing in him what I'm seeing in him. I want him to slip through the cracks or <laughs> you have to fight against that because you actually want what's best for the guy, which would probably be to be here as the 53rd guy or as a practice squad guy, or how, how does that all work internally for you? 
Yeah, for me, it's, you know, the NFL is the ultimate experience. So, you know, I'm, I'm cheering for all the guys to get that shot. And if that shot doesn't work out, you know, we're more than happy to bring them down to the XFL and, and help them with whatever part of their game um, is not quite NFL caliber at this time. Or, or maybe it's just a number of situation. Um, but what people have to understand is it's, it's, it's fractions of seconds. It's, it's fractions of inches. Um, you know, the, the measurables that, uh, that the NFL is so good at, at, at defining and creating and what they're looking for. Some of these guys don't fit that. So if they don't come into a training camp and, and grab the attention of the coaches right away and, um, you know, prove that, you know, what their limitations that were perceived to be before they stepped on the practice field, uh, they can more than make up for that because they're a true football player. Um, you know, that type of guy uh, is a perfect fit for what we're going to be doing in the XFL. Um, you know, he, he may lack just a, a certain trait that the NFL is looking for, um, but have a lot of the other qualities. And, uh, you know, it's just it, it, it wasn't meant for him. Um, so he gets released and then we bring him down to uh, to our league and and we help him get back. And, you know, a great example is Logan Woodside, who was our starting quarterback last year in, in San Antonio. And, you know, I had a, a chance to, to visit with John a little bit about him. And, and he said how much more mature he is this year uh, as compared to last year, you know, how much better he is with his progression, you know, just really grown and matured, you know, during that, uh, that experience with the Alliance. And, uh, you know, even Logan said, you know, it, it's like I've already played eight preseason games. I just, you know, rolled that right into uh, coming here to camp. So I feel, yeah, I feel really good during the course of the, of the preseason so far. So, you know, those are the, those are the stories that we're, help, we're, we're hoping to write as we move forward. In that regard, it's got to feel pretty gratifying, even, even though the Alliance didn't, didn't finish, that's the kind of thing you were you were setting out to do, correct? Absolutely. I think that the total number of guys that signed uh, NFL contracts uh, after we folded uh, was 53. Uh, I think uh, in San Antonio we sent 13 guys. Um, you know, two NFL teams. Uh, not not all of them are there now. Uh, you know, some of them have been released since that time. But we gave 13 guys, you know, from San Antonio the opportunity to get back to the NFL and take another shot at it. And, you know, actually, uh, you know, last Thursday, I think it was Thursday night, um, you know, Minnesota played and, and we had Duran Smith and Duke Thomas, you know, who were with us and they were running with the second team and, and, and both had pretty good games that night. So, uh, you know, that, that makes you feel good that you've uh, that you've helped uh, those guys and, and both of those guys, undersized guys, um, you know, they, they don't have the, you know, the, the height that the that NFL coaches are looking for in the secondary players in today's game. Uh, you know, they're both under six foot tall. Um, but they were able to show that, you know, they, they make up for that with their, uh, you know, the football IQ, you know, they may be what they consider to be a little bit too slow to play the position, but their instincts allow them to, to make up for that. Maybe that lack of tested time. Uh, and when you get them on the football field, uh, it, it's, it's not there. You know, you don't see that, that four, six forty from a safety position. You know, he plays with the same, you know, because of his IQ and his anticipation and his trust in his instincts, you know, he plays like a four or five guy. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're really excited, uh, you know, to see a couple of our guys go out and have a nice preseason game. Will the XFL be somewhat different? Vic, Vince McMahon doesn't strike most of us as a guy who's going to be, um, excited to send 52 players back to the NFL. And certainly his last venture didn't seem to be some, something that was about supplementing the big boys, but it was about something that was about competing with the big boys. I know this incarnation is, is different, but where, where do you put it on the scale of, of trying to do the same thing the Alliance was trying to do or trying to, to create 
something that that ultimately would compete with the NFL. Yeah, I, th- I think the charge that that we all have is let's be the first group to actually pull this off. Um, it's been tried many times before. Uh, it, it has not been successful for a number of different reasons. Um, the reason that the alliance was not successful was because of financial support. That's not going to be uh, an issue with Vince McMahon. You know, he's pledged to do $500 million of his own wealth, uh, you know, into this venture. Um, so that gives us a great foundation. And what we did learn from the alliance is there is an appetite for spring football if it's done well, if the, if it's competitive and, and traditional to the game of football that that fans are used to watching. And I think uh, you know everybody has learned you know from from what we did. Now, if we can replicate the style of football on the field and partner that with uh, the stability that Vince McMahon provides from a financial standpoint, then this has an opportunity to be the first successful spring league. You know. In, in the history of the game. And, and that's really what we're trying to do. All the other stuff is for other people to talk about. Um, you know, it, 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 for us, it's, it's let's be successful. Let's do something that nobody else has ever done before. A lot of people have tried to do this and, and have failed. Let's, let's be the first group that actually pulls this off. And, and um, you know, that, that to me is, uh, is something that you really want to be a part of. So we've got a lot of people working hard and trying to make sure that that happens this time. You're listening to the Paul Kuharski podcast. My guest is J- Daryl Johnston Moose, uh, the former great fullback for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, now still with the NFL on Fox and the director of player personnel for Dallas of the XFL, who spent uh, Saturday and Sunday watching um, the Titans practice as he scouted for the XFL. We're brought to you by Yazoo Brew. Uh, which is what you should be drinking, especially the Hefeweizen, my favorite, uh, in the summertime and all year round. How, how did you kind of steer your eyes? We were joking about watching 53 to 90 on the roster. Um, do you have to train yourself somewhat to not not, not be watching the wrong guys? And, uh, and, and how do you choose where to go in individual period or when the offensive and defensive line are working separate of special teams and all of that stuff. How do, how do you steer yourself? Yeah, it is challenging. You know, only having you know the one set of eyes there, and you're you're trying to cover. You know, the, you know, John Robinson was was kind enough to kind of give me, um, you know, some guys that I should pay attention to, um, so you could kind of focus on on the group. But you know, who's running? You know, on the third teams. Uh, you know, that that's where your your attention needs to be. And then just making sure that the the, the guys now they are not just depth guys, and, and they will be part of the 53. Uh, and the practice squad. So, um, you know, once you get that information, then it's, it's really, for me, I know it's a big man's game. So I, I want to be good up front. So, you know, I spend a lot of time with the offensive and defensive lines, um, you know, the, the pass rush drills, some of their individual drills, um, you know, trying to see, you know, what, what, which guys on that list, uh, you know, kind of jump out at you and, um, you know, knowing it, it, it's a numbers game at this level, but would be a great fit for us in the XFL and, uh, you know the the individual period for the for the defensive backs, um, just to see their their movement. Um, you know how they how, how their hips, uh, the breaks on the ball. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of challenging as you, you're trying to move around through the different components of practice and, and try to get to the to the periods that you think are the most important for you to get your your evaluation done. So uh, you know I was zigzagging around there quite a bit. Uh, probably a little bit light on the running backs. Um, because as as you watched them, they were they were mostly uh, individual periods and things like that. So, 
um, you know, it was, it was challenging, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, I used my time well, uh, had a couple of connections, you know, on the staff and was able to, uh, to get some information from them. That's a lot more detailed. So, uh, you know, that was very beneficial too. So some of the areas that I felt maybe I didn't get enough, you know, eyes on, on certain spots, uh, I did that because I knew I had, uh, some people that, that would be able to share their insight with me afterwards if I wasn't able to get my eyes on it, uh, actually myself. What drove you to do this? Did the Alliance come courting you uh, or, or did you have an antenna out that, that indicated you might be interested in this in the first place or how did this all come about for you? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've probably been researching this for about the last four or four and a half years. Um, you know, have, have, uh, have worked, uh, you know, with Will McClay, with the Dallas Cowboys, and, and Alex Loomis have been have been great friends and allies with this. Um, and and really, Will was the guy who was instrumental in getting me connected to the person with the XF with the Alliance that uh, that got me that first opportunity in San Antonio. Um, but I was able to do that because, you know, the, the previous three and a half years at that time, you know, I had, I had been kind of dipping my toe in this pool a little bit, and, and people knew about that. And, you know, had, had gone up and, and done several visits to the Kansas City Chiefs camps and, and got to know John Dorsey, um, you know, had gone and visited with Ron Wolf up in Green Bay, had gone up and visited with Bill Parcells up in Saratoga, um, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, information from people that uh, that you respected in the league uh, at, at doing this. And then you've got that that wonder in your own mind, you know, I've, I've been a part of, of you know, division championship high school teams. Uh, I was a part of an undefeated team in college. I was part of three Super Bowl teams in the NFL. Uh, all, everything that I've learned, you know, through those experiences with the game of football, you know, does that help me be the architect of a roster that could compete for a championship? Um, and I think anybody who plays always has that in the back of their mind. So, um, you know, just have always had the curiosity, you know, would I be able to to create a culture where the chemistry of the team um, and, and the skill level that, that I evaluated would, would be good enough uh, to compete for a championship. So um, when the opportunity with the Alliance came, you know, I, I knew it would be busy, but it was just one of those things that would accelerate, uh, you know, a learning curve. Um, and, and if, you know, the potential, you know, for doing something on a higher level down the road. So, um, you know, I jumped at that chance and, and, and was very, very fortunate to work with a guy like Mike Riley as my head coach the first time around. It was it was uh, it was a great experience, and 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 if I hadn't have done that, I I, you know, I don't think Bob Stoops would have had the confidence to hire me, you know, for the opportunity in Dallas. So, even though the alliance was bittersweet at the end, um, if I hadn't done that, then I don't think I have the opportunity to be a part of the XFL in Dallas. So, uh, you know, everything that went wrong with the alliance, you know, it, it was for a reason. It was for the opportunity to get this chance to do it with Dallas and, and not have to travel and be away from my wife and my daughter um, at that time. So I um, was very happy uh, to get the opportunity with, with coach Dupes. And uh, you know, we've had some meetings already with our staff and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed again. I've got another really, really good group of guys to, to go through this with again. And um, you know, that's the biggest thing, you know, you're, you're away from your family and you're working hard. And, and if you're not having fun and enjoying it, it, it can become a grind. And, uh, we, we've got a great staff assembled so far, so I'm, I'm expecting another another enjoyable experience uh, with the XFL and, and Bob Stoops and his staff. Bob Stoops, the head coach, the general manager, and I think easily the biggest surprise to emerge in the XFL could probably have any college opening he wanted uh, if he wanted to reemerge in, in college ball. Um, 
how well have you gotten to know him? Did you know him before this? And what do you think drove him? I, I know you can't speak for him, but what was the pull of this for him? That's that's a marquee get for the league. Yeah, it, it sure is. Um, you know, I, I didn't know Bob before. You know, I really met him for the first time, you know, during the interview process. Um, but but really, really liked him. Um, you just he you can tell he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to, to help you create that culture that that's necessary for, for winning football games. And, uh, you know, I, I think the big thing for him is, you know, I think it's twofold. Um, you know, it's a lot of time away from family, uh, you know, as a head coach of a major college. And, um, you know, sometimes we feel like we've missed out on some things with our families. Uh, and, and I'm sure that that was part of the reason for Bob. Uh, and then also there's always that, that wonder with college coaches, you know, could I do this at the professional level? Would, would, would the things that I have instilled and, and have built uh, at the University of Oklahoma, does, does that work for, for older guys, for professional guys? Um, and I think there's always that lure for the, for the college coach to give that a shot. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that's part of it for Bob, too. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's at a time of year that's probably calendar friendly for him. Uh, it's not, you know, overly time consuming. And you, know, you hear the stories of, of the college coaches because the recruiting process is such a big part of it now. Um, but it seems like it's a full year-long calendar. There's there's really very little downtime uh, if you want to be a successful program. So yeah, I think, you know, once you've lived the life of football, you know, it's hard to walk away from it. So I think that this is just a great fit for Bob. Um, you know, it, it works for his family. It works for his calendar. Um, and, it, and it still gets him back into the game of football, and it gives him an opportunity to try something that I'm sure he's wondered uh, if the things that he believes in would be successful at a professional level. One more, if I may, before I let you go, you've been very generous with your time. Just curious from a, a great fullback, does it, does it sadden you what the state of the fullback has become? It's, it's not a very popular position. Uh, the Titans, you know, run a reasonable amount of two back, but that second back is really a, a tight end or now they've got a running back in David Flewellen who they put 15 pounds on who they'll, uh, conceivably use in that role, but uh, he's dinged up now, and I'll kind of believe it when I see it if they could pull it off. But that's a, an H back and an F back. It's a tight end room, um, and and they've done that for a long time. You just see fewer and fewer of them, and and a lot of times you'll hear conversations about a fullback that make it sound almost like the dodo bird. Um, and I wonder if that makes you sentimental or sad, or, uh, if you kind of concede that it's evolution of the game, or if you think it's cyclical and you'll be back, but the college game isn't offering a lot of fullbacks to the pro game. Yeah. And I think that that's the the biggest reason why right now, but I I do believe, um, you know, that it will be cyclical. Um, but the problem is when that cycle comes back around, where do you find the guys? Uh, there's very few colleges that are that are using the position that way um, because there's very few high schools that are using the position that way. So, uh, you know, Hal Mummy is our offensive coordinator uh, for the Dallas franchise. And, and Al, uh, Hal is the uh, the inventor of the air raid offense. And, and a lot of people you know, point to him and, and Mike Leach as the uh, the end of the fullback. Hey, they're your um, killers. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, you know, we, we we had a good we had a good laugh about that. And, and he, he's, he's not that way. Um, you know, he'd love to have that guy. And, you know, at Oklahoma, they had Dimitri Flowers, who, who would be, you know, kind of that guy um, who would be that, that FH type guy uh, that they could move through the formation. But the big thing is, in today's game, it, it's all about matchups. So, you know, that was the evolution and the change at the, at the professional level. You know, I, I blame the greatest show on turf. 
um, you know, even though they had James Hodges as a fullback there and, and were really, really good when they wanted to run the football, I don't think, you know, how could you not be good running the football when you had Marshall Falk there and, and, and James Hodges and Ernie Conwell? You know, I think a lot of people forget when Mike Martz wants to get downhill in the run game, um, you know, he's got a great, uh, he's got a great series of running plays uh, and it's a very physical downhill style. So, um, you know, it was a big component of the greatest show on turf, but the greatest show on turf was the offense that pushed the matchup down the ladder. Uh, that got four wide receivers on the field. They got five wide receivers on the field. You know, somebody has to come off for those guys to come on, and the fullback was the position. So, you know, when I was in Dallas, we were we were fortunate because, um, you know, we we felt that, you know, with me on the outside, that that was a fair matchup against a, a, an outside linebacker that would walk outside in the passing game. Um, so I was able to stay on the field a lot, um, and I, I I understood. I could kind of see what was coming. Um, so during the course of meetings, I would always learn what the F position did in our nickel offense. So if we wanted to stay with regular personnel and just run it from there, that, that I would be able to run some of those plays when the, when the, the fullback leaves formation. Um, and I don't, I don't know if those types of guys are around anymore. You can't be just a first and second down lead blocker, just like you, as a middle linebacker, you can't just be a, a first and second down run stopper. You, you've got to be able to play coverage. Um, so the same as the, the fullback has gone away, that, that big thumper Mike linebacker um, is kind of drifting out of the league as well um, you know, for, for a smaller, more athletic, faster inside linebacker um, that can match up in, in the, the coverages today. I mean, 65% of the NFL is, is played from a nickel defense uh, against a nickel offense. So there's just not a lot of snaps there for the fullback to have. But I do believe is important, and, and I've always said this, there's, there's a player – uh, that has come into the league that, that wasn't there when I was playing, and it was that that six foot five, three hundred and five pound defensive tackle uh, that in a that in a ten to twelve yard space can run down anybody. They're just they're they're uniquely athletic. They're big. They're fast. Uh, great change of direction. Um, those guys are going to beat offensive linemen quick from time to time. And in a single back set, that's a, that's an easy tackle for a loss where a fullback can absorb that missed block. And, and we had that, some of that stuff happened to us in Dallas. And I would always tell, you know, Nate and Gogues and, you know, if, if you miss, you know, don't turn around because you're not going to get the guy. If you miss, just climb to the second level uh, because my guy is going to be there. I'll, I'll take your guy. You just climb to the next level and, and get mine. Um, so I, I just think that the two back, the fullback in front of the tailback is, is something that gives your running game a good chance for success uh, when you have these extremely athletic defensive linemen uh, that can get into the backfield very quickly. Um, so the, the single back set leaves the, that running back vulnerable. And, I've, you know, as I go around with the NFL, I've, I've talked to a number of guys. You know, even Adrian Peterson, he, he prefers a single back. You know, he, he, and he had a really good fullback in front of him in Minnesota. Um, but, but he felt he could see things better. Um, if he, if he was in a single back set. So, you know, it's, it, it's not only, you know, the, the pressure on the position, you know, from the different forces that we've talked about, but it's also sometimes the preference of the running back himself that, that prefers, you know, that, that cleaner look as a single back. Daryl Johnston, uh, director of per, player personnel for Dallas of the XFL. He's watched the Titans um, this past weekend and was kind enough to, to spend 25 minutes with me here. I really enjoyed it. A uh, lot of good information there and look forward to seeing you down the road and watching your broadcasts on Fox this season. Thanks a lot. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Good luck to the Titans. There you have it. 
Uh, brought to you by Yazoo. As always, tune in soon for another edition of the Paul Kuharski podcast. Appreciate it. Check in the membership. Join the site. Don't miss out. Take care. The Paul Kuharski podcast is a joint production of paulkuharski.com and Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com. <laughs>